This week on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show, Idaho ranks first in five different ag commodity groups, and we'll tell you what those are just ahead. We also take you to the Treasure Valley for the latest Farm to Chef installment. A restaurant called The Lively has a menu filled with Idaho products, and Paul Marchant's Irons in the Fire takes us to the unloading spot later in the program. Welcome, I'm Neil Larson. Our news is just ahead. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-417-0851. 800-417-0851. That's 800-417-0851. Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack has just announced major new investments to boost competition and capacity in meat processing and give livestock producers more market power. Gary Crawford has more in this report featuring Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. The Agriculture Department has several programs designed to expand meat processing capacity and give livestock and poultry producers more places to sell their animals at a fair price. In essence, new opportunity, and new choice for both producers and consumers. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack in Nebraska Wednesday announcing under several programs $223 million in grants and loans, over 32 awards in 19 states across the country. As to what these loans and grants will do, Vilsack told reporters, We think it's going to expand capacity uh, in beef, uh, pork, and and mixed processing by over 500,000 head per year. We think it will expand capacity in in poultry, uh, nearly 34 million birds per year. We anticipate and expect over 1,100 jobs be created on an ongoing operational basis. Not counting construction jobs to expand existing facilities and build new ones, and Vilsack says there's more. We anticipate that there are going to be additional projects in the near future to be announced. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. While improvement was noted in the very short-to-short topsoil moisture condition rating in USDA's latest report, there is still significant dryness recorded across parts of the country. Rod Bain has more with USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. A wetter week in parts of the country reveals a slight improvement in the nation's topsoil moisture condition ratings. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says 64% of the country on October 30th reported very short-to-short topsoil moisture conditions. That 64% actually represents a 4 percentage point improvement from last week's record high 68%, very short-to-short. Even with improvements in areas like the Mid-South, we still see some extraordinarily dry conditions out there particularly in the Great Plains. Each of the states across the Great Plains reporting topsoil moisture more than 70%, very short to short, on October 30th. Topsoil surplus condition rating remains unchanged week over week at 1%. Only two states coming in with double-digit topsoil moisture surpluses on October 30th. Those states, Maine at 30%, New York State at 13%. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Well, Idaho ranked number one in the nation in five different ag commodity categories last year. Potatoes, barley, alfalfa hay, 
peppermint oil, and food trout. This according to a piece by Sean Ellis with the Idaho Farm Bureau. The gem state also ranked number two in the United States in 2021 in sugar beets and hops, and they're third in milk and cheese production and total milk cows. They ranked fourth in dry onions, spring wheat and lentils, and fifth in dry edible beans, corn silage, and dry edible peas. The USDA data needed to compile rankings for 2022 will be released next fall. Idaho ranked in the top eight nationally in 22 different ag commodity categories last year, despite the fact that the total value of ag production in Idaho dipped by 1% in 2021 compared with 2020. Now, there are a lot more numbers and statistics and data in this story. Just go to IdahoFB.org and check out their newsroom for that headline. Well, farmers harvesting grain this fall are faced with transportation issues. Michael Clement shares more on the myriad of issues impacting the transportation network. Farmers harvesting their grain this fall face some challenges getting their commodities to export markets. Andrew Walmsley, American Farm Bureau Federation Senior Director of Government Affairs, says farmers are seeing complications on multiple fronts. You have truck transportation where we're seeing challenges with labor availability and high diesel prices. You've then got the waterways challenged with very low water levels that's restricting movement of grain And then we've had service issues with rail, just generally with the railroads and some of the service matrix. But then a lot of uncertainty interjected now with the potential of a strike as we do not have an agreement between the labor unions and the railroads. However, Walmsley says a potential railroad strike is one of the things that can be avoided. When you look at the rivers, we can pray for rain. We also appreciate everything that the Army Corps of Engineers doing to keep the river flowing as much as possible. But one we can avoid is the potential of a strike or lockout between the labor unions and the railroads. The rail network is critical to moving bulk goods in this country, particularly this time of year with harvest and then also pre-positioning through the spring for critical input. Walmsley says Farm Bureau is encouraging lawmakers to be proactive. What we are encouraging, over 300 groups last week sent a letter to the president encouraging the administration to stay engaged. From an ag sector, we're encouraging Congress to take action here sooner rather than later if the unions and the railroads can't reach an agreement. Michael Clements, Washington. Shoppers looking for that Thanksgiving turkey will find adequate supplies of smaller birds this year, but larger ones may be harder to locate. Gary Crawford has more with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. If you are among those worried that you might have a turkeyless Thanksgiving this year due to a reported turkey shortage, some words of reassurance. I don't think you're going to have to worry about whether or not you can carve your turkey on Thanksgiving. It's going to be there. Maybe smaller, but it'll be there. Might cost a bit more, too. This from Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, who told reporters this week that, yes, supplies of turkeys are smaller this year due in part to avian influenza that has resulted in the death or destruction of about 8 million turkeys. So some growers have had to sanitize their facilities and start the production process over again. However, in terms of people being able to get a a Thanksgiving turkey, they're going to be able to get a Thanksgiving turkey. Now, whether they can get a 20-pound turkey, that may be a challenge uh, based on location because some of the turkeys that are are being raised right now for Thanksgiving may not have the full amount of time uh, to get the 20 pounds. Feels like said if you want a smaller bird, plenty of those, but you may have to shop around a bit for that 20-pounder. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. The year 2022 will be noted as the second worst finish for U.S. pasture and rangeland conditions in this century, 
according to USDA's last condition report of the season. Rod Bain has more with USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. The last U.S. pasture and rangeland condition report for this year indicates 48% of the U.S. rangeland and pastures rated very poor to poor compared to 42% this same time last year, according to USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey. From a historical context, 21st century rangeland and pasture conditions have finished the season in worse shape only once, and that was at the tail end of the historic drought of 2012. And in fact, these last three years, 2020 through 2022, have featured the second, third, and fourth worst finish to U.S. pasture conditions in the 21st century. Primary areas of very poor to poor pasture and rangeland conditions include key agricultural states of the heartland. Within that region, Nebraska, finishing up the season on October 30th, 82% of the rangeland and pastures rated very poor to poor, closely followed by Oklahoma at 80% and Kansas at 79 percent. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. While many are noting the difference between gasoline and diesel prices lately, the American Farm Bureau Federation says there are many factors that impact those prices. Here's Michael Clements to explain. The price difference between diesel and gas has many scratching their heads. On October 31st, the average diesel price was $5.32 per gallon, while the average gas price was $3.86. American Farm Bureau Federation Senior Economist Veronica Nye sums it up as an issue of supply and demand. On the supply side, back in March, the U.S. banned imports of Russian oil and Russian petroleum products. While we only get 30% of our oil from Russia, we get 20% of our petroleum products from that country. And a lot of those petroleum products that we were importing are used to make diesel fuel. We've also seen some downturn in production as refiners have been taking their plants down for maintenance. Nice as fall is a high demand time for diesel. Gasoline tends to peak in the summertime when and Americans are out hitting the open road on vacation, whereas diesel demand tends to increase in the fall and the winter with increased trucking as retailers are stocking their shelves for the holidays. Of course, farmers are using more diesel during harvest and as folks are using a lot more heating oil as the temperatures drop. So it's a combined supply and demand issue really going on here with diesel that is separating it from gasoline prices. Nye adds there are regional differences in availability of diesel. Nationwide, we're down about 17% relative to the same time last year. But on the East Coast, they're down 37%. The Midwest is down 15%. The West Coast and Rocky Mountain regions are down 11 and 9% respectively. So certainly feeling a pinch in multiple regions across the United States, but the East Coast far and away having the biggest supply constraints followed by the Midwest. Michael Clements, Washington. Well, University of Idaho Extension has published a new bulletin to help potato farmers recognize the symptoms of bacterial rot and protect their operations from the devastating crop disease. Idaho has not had a ring rot flare-up in a few years, and the state's last major outbreak of the disease was in 2012. This according to a piece by John O'Connell with the University of Idaho. The U of I's Extension seed potato specialist, Keisha Duhlman, hopes the bulletin will remind commercial and seed potato farmers to maintain good sanitation practices and remain vigilant for symptoms. She warns that ring rot is highly destructive and tough to eliminate once it gets a foothold on a farm. Duhlman told O'Connell it can be an existential crisis for a seed potato grower's business if it is found on their farm. 
the ring rot, which is not a human health issue, is a tuber-borne bacterial disease that can be present uh, present in seed while remaining asymptomatic in seed lots throughout several generations of replanting before those symptoms surface. If you'd like to read more, just go to idahofb.org and look for the headline on the devastating potato disease. Well, what's now the leading cause of death in the U.S.? The answer may surprise you. Gary Crawford has the answer in this report. It's certainly a privilege uh, to host this group of individuals and organizations working to tackle food and nutrition insecurity in our country. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack at USDA headquarters in Washington the other day hosting a National Nutrition Security and Healthcare Summit. Most of the attendees either coming from the nutrition side of things or from the healthcare system. Vilsack said he would like to see a better merger of those two because he says right now. Poor nutrition is now the leading cause of death in the U.S. and is responsible for more than 600,000 deaths. Nutrition issues have been shown to be connected to so many deadly diseases such as heart disease, diabetes, and even cancer. Some of those diseases and deaths related simply to not getting enough food, some related to eating too much of the wrong foods. Vilsack said if those connections between diet and disease are correct, and experts say they are, then of course in theory... Hunger and diet-related diseases are almost entirely preventable. Preventable by good diets, and Vilsack told reporters during the summit... If you expand access and affordability of good foods and you integrate health care and nutrition together, you can over time reduce hunger and eliminate it and hopefully uh, as well reduce diet-related uh, diseases. But many doctors are not trained in or paid to do diet-related screenings. Most insurance companies don't reimburse for those screenings or for delivering prescribed foods to people. But Vilsack says... We recognize the crucial importance of revising our national health care system to one that not only treats disease but as importantly, prevents it from happening in the first place. Some medical organizations are getting on board with the food as medicine movement. The hospital industry may be a little bit late to the party, but I would say this, don't underestimate what we can do. That's Gary Cates with a nonprofit company, ProMedica, with healthcare facilities in Ohio and Michigan. And he says, for the medical community as a whole, we need to pay more attention to those things that factor into overall health and well-being. At the center of it is hunger. ProMedica has been working on this problem for some time by screening people for diet-related problems and even, with help from generous donations, putting a food store in the same building as some of its medical facilities, just like having a pharmacy at a hospital, making food a type of medicine. And along that line, Rockefeller Foundation President Dr. Rajiv Shah has just made this announcement. The Rockefeller Foundation and the American Heart Association along with Kroger, plans to mobilize $250 million to build a national food is medicine research initiative. Meanwhile, on the hunger issue, other groups, private and government, are working on improving food access for low-income Americans with the goal of eliminating hunger in the U.S. within eight years. Tom Vilsack says it's going to be a huge effort, but... I believe it will lead to a stronger and healthier country, and that makes all the work and the time and the effort certainly worth it. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. When we return, what the winter forecast looks like when it comes to ag and water supplies, and another forecast of food prices on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. 
If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-417-0851. 800-417-0851. That's 800-417-0851. Welcome back to the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. I'm Neil Larson. La Nina is the primary summary of how the 2022-23 winter season in our nation should shape up. Rod Bain looks at what this may mean for not just temperatures and precipitation, but agriculture and water supplies as well in this edition of Agriculture USA. La Nina has been the predominant weather pattern over much of this year, and weather experts such as John Gottschalk of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Climate Prediction Center believe La Nina will remain in place for the third consecutive winter and are forecast to persist into spring 2023. So that means most likely cooler, wetter weather in the north and warmer, drier conditions in the south. Beyond that, there are concerns about the impacts regarding crops, water supplies, even waterways. Especially the Mississippi River Basin, where we're already dealing with low river levels. I'm Rod Bain. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey is among those joining us for a look at the 2022-23 U.S. winter weather outlook in this edition of Agriculture USA. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. Support us at 4-H.org. What might your winter look like in your area? A potential glimpse was provided recently by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's Climate Prediction Center, offering its 2022-23 winter weather outlook. And it is a forecast that has the traditional signs of a La Nina weather pattern established over the nation. John Gottschalk of the Climate Prediction Center says that means conditions include a general warmer and drier south and cooler, wetter north. And USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says with La Nina and almost certainty going into the winter. That helps to fine-tune the forecast. That La Nina-El Nino, that entire ENSO signal, is one of the strongest predictors for U.S. weather, especially during the cold season. It's a pretty reliable predictor, and so that is a lot of the weight behind this winter of 2022-23 forecast. And John Gottschalk says if the forecast holds true... This would be a third consecutive year of a La Nina during the winter. The specifics of this winter's weather outlook start 
with temperatures. The winter 2022 temperature forecast favors above normal temperatures for northwest Alaska, the central Great Basin and southwest, eastward through the southern plains. Warmer than average conditions are also favored for the southeastern U.S. and along the Atlantic seaboard. With the greatest chance of below normal temperatures, most likely from the Pacific Northwest, eastward to the western Great Lakes and the Alaska Panhandle. While possible precipitation outcomes across the country this winter include the following. Wetter than average conditions are favored in western Alaska, the Pacific Northwest, northern Rockies, and parts of the Great Lakes and Ohio Valley. Drier than average conditions are most likely for portions of California, the southwest, the southern Rockies, southern plains, Gulf Coast, and much of the southeast. The greatest odds for below average precipitation are forecast for southern Texas. The rest of the nation falls in the category of equal chances for below, near, or above average precipitation. Beyond the temperature and precipitation projections, what might this winter mean impact-wise? Gottschalk starts with continued, even expanding, drought. We anticipate widespread extreme drought to persist across much of the West, the Great Basin and the Central to Southern Great Plains. The Middle and Lower Mississippi Valley is currently experiencing historic low water conditions, and we expect drought to continue to impact this area as well. Drought development is likely to occur across the South Central and Southwestern U.S., while drought conditions will likely improve across the Northwestern U.S. and Northern Rockies during the coming winter months. USDA meteorologist Brad Rippey says with the potential of above normal precipitation, at mountain runoff from the north. There is some promise that eventually we will improve runoff into the Mississippi Basin based on snow and rain expected to fall across parts of the Midwest and the north. Especially if frozen water in parts of the Mississippi River system and its tributaries occurs and precipitation is captured as snowpack through the duration of the winter. Turning to the nation's three primary winter wheat growing areas, all are currently under drought conditions. Yet going into the winter... Prospects are certainly improving for northwestern winter wheat over the last few days, and we expect that to continue for the next few weeks and perhaps all the way through the winter. The outlook is not as optimistic in the Great Plains. We may start seeing some relief across the northern plains, but some of the biggest winter wheat production areas across the central and southern Great Plains could potentially remain very dry into the spring. And in terms of western water supplies built up throughout the winter through precipitation and snow pack. We would have diminishing drought concerns and diminishing water supply concerns in the northwestern states, but certainly our big southwestern watersheds, including the Colorado River Basin, would continue to experience drought. This has been Agriculture USA. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Retail food prices continue to climb, but at a somewhat slower rate. Gary Crawford has more. When it comes to retail food prices this year, food shoppers have been seeing some of the biggest increases in decades, increases that many economists thought would have cooled off by now, but those prices just keep climbing. So once again, in their latest monthly forecast, analysts at the Ag Department have had to raise their projections for just how much more food will cost this year on average compared to last year, raising them by about half a percentage point. Agriculture Department economist Matt McLaughlin, he gave us his new food price inflation forecasts for away-from-home restaurant food prices, at-home grocery store prices, and the average increase for all of those foods averaged together. For all food, we increased our forecast by half a percentage point to 9.5 to 10.5 percent. Again, we had slower price increases this past month, but they're not as slow as we expected. Food away from home, 
we had a half point increase again in our forecast and now are forecasting food away from home prices to increase between seven and eight percent lastly we also increased the forecast for food at home by a half percent and now uh, food at home prices are forecasted to increase by 11 to 12 percent. As to what's behind the latest increase in these forecasts? This was in line with primarily seeing food price categories continuing to increase and a couple of surprises in terms of price increases. Surprise one, affecting poultry and egg supplies and prices. Avian flu is continuing uh, in past outbreaks. This has stopped sometime over the summer. This just did not happen. We're continuing to have cases this year. With upwards of 40 million chickens dying or having to be put down because of bird flu. So Matt says chickens going to cost us an average of up to 15.5% more this year. Eggs, 27.5% more. Matt says consumers have gotten a break on beef price hikes, though. They seem to have leveled off. But pork and other meats, as well as poultry products, continue to increase and at faster rates than we expected. So it seems like food price inflation is slowing down a little, but what we have is... A slower than expected slowing of price increases. <laughs> price is still going up slowly, but not as slowly as was expected. Like riding a roller coaster, that slow climb, you know, as you near the top, but you never seem to get to the top. We're still going up the hill, but it's starting to flatten out. So we do have slower month-to-month -month price increases than we've had for the past few months. But in historical terms, they're still relatively high. <laughs> so, Matt, what we have here is what? A um... slow slowdown in food prices. But he's still expecting food prices to climb another 2 to 3% next year, so we may not get that thrilling downhill ride even next year. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. In our next segment, another farm-to-chef story from the Treasure Valley and the progress being made bringing high-speed internet to rural America on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a Continuous Glucose Monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-417-0851. 800-417-0851. 800-417-0851. That's 800-417-0851. Welcome back. It's the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. Another farm to chef story today from Idaho Preferred. This time, the farm is McIntyre Pastures and the chef, Edward Higgins of The Lively Restaurant in Boise. I was raised in a family that valued the local economy. Um, a lot of stuff made from scratch in the house using goods that were provided by friends of the family and 
local businesses. That was sort of further developed when I worked for um, Chef Tom Colicchio in New York City. We just really relied on building those strong relationships, the theory being that if you're going to keep it simple, it has to be good. And in order to be good, it has to be a verifiable source, someone with integrity and predominantly sharing the same values that you have. The reason why I ended up here is because of the actual food community that exists. Being agricultural land, the infrastructure was already here. Two hours east of here, you're harvesting caviar that's being shipped off to some of the top restaurants around the country and I believe around the world. Uh, it's all here, right in our backyard, eight minutes you know, west of my house. I can pull out of the ground some greens and radishes and anything you can imagine from you know a little handful of farms that seem to be you know, bonded together over in Hidden Springs. So it's, it's a pretty amazing place for um, someone that does what I do. McIntyre is an easy fit because they take the time to do things the right way. Maria and her husband are working, you know, on the farm every day in the fields, really hands-on being able to identify when things are ready and how long it's going to take for them to be ready and what it needs to get them there according to their standards and not according to some sort of um, predetermined profit margin. So it's, that's, I think, the beauty of, of, of the relationships that we've developed. So we, we rotate them on paddocks. So this is a, they've been in here, we, they were over here two days ago, they're over here now. We were talking a lot about like the hands-on approach in the field and what that allows them to do and just really being able to hand select the pig and being able to size them according to what it is that they feel produces the best flavor. What we try to do is take them to a, a bigger weight than most, yeah. like the commercial. Right. Um, just because we just felt like it's got a better flavor and fat profile. In order to kind of um, best exemplify what it is that we feel is so valuable and unique about McIntyre and their products. The two major products that we work with are their eggs, their fresh eggs, and their beautiful um, Berkshire pork. So what we're going to prepare today for you is uh, a very simple dish that I grew up eating. It's uh, annuotti, roasted in butter with herbs. That's the simple description. And we're making the pasta with the fresh eggs from the farm that we picked up today and we're going to make the filling with a mix of different items, herbs, spices, but predominantly built around the, just the beautiful pork sausage that they, they give to us. what's already here, humbly do what we can to not screw it up, put it onto a plate and really highlight what's already available and beautiful about, about Boise and the Treasure Valley and beyond. By the way, you can catch the latest Farm to Chef videos at IdahoPreferred.com. Many rural areas still don't have access to high-speed internet, but progress is being made to change that. Here's Gary Crawford with more. 
Imagine trying to farm and make a living at it without electricity. Imagine doing anything these days without electricity. Well, let's go back to when this song was a big hit. Looky, 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 here comes Cookie walking down the street. The year is 1935. While most of the country's urban and suburban households had electricity then and had had it for a long time, about 90% of the nation's rural homes and 90% of farmers did not have electricity. Farmers and towns were so spread out that commercial power companies couldn't run lines to those rural areas, not in, stay in business. But in May of 1935, this man decided it was unacceptable for so many of the nation's farmers not to have electricity. There are thousands and thousands of families on western farms who must have some form of help the man was President Franklin Roosevelt, and he signed an executive order creating within the U.S. Department of Agriculture the Rural Electrification Administration, REA, whose job would be later to make loans and do other things to get power out to rural areas. And Congress the next year voted to fund the REA, and work began. By 1951, over 90% of farms and rural households had power. Fast forward to today. It's a similar situation, not with electricity, but with high-speed Internet. It's estimated over a third of rural residents don't have access to high-speed, reliable Internet. That's just beyond unacceptable that that's not available to rural America. That's Mitch Landrew. He's White House Infrastructure Coordinator. Rural communities are the backbone of our nation, but for too long they've been left behind and they have been under-recognized. For too long, they haven't had access to basic resources like affordable, reliable, high-speed Internet. And considering that we all know how essential the Internet is in order to access life-saving telemedicine, to tap into economic opportunity, to connect with loved ones, to work on precision agriculture, and so much more. That's just beyond unacceptable. And President Biden has pledged to make sure it's available to every American home, including 35% of rural families who currently go without it. This really is critically important to the future of rural America. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack's words the other day as he announced $759 million in new funding for 49 projects to bring high-speed Internet to rural areas in 24 states. This money part of round three of USDA's ReConnect program, which so far this year has made available $1.6 billion for over 100 rural Internet projects across the country. And Vilsack told reporters round four is in the works now. Plus, he says the infrastructure law has $65 billion in it devoted to connecting rural homes and businesses with high-speed Internet. It's one of the many ways we're ensuring that folks, no matter where they live, have a shot at success by having access to high-speed Internet. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. In our final segment, details from the latest Ag Outlook Forum, and Paul Marchant will close things out with another installment of Irons in the Fire on the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more.
prick in my finger. No finger pricks. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800 417 That's 800-417-0851. And we're back with the final segment of today's Idaho Farm and Ranch Show. Some of the first details of the latest edition of USDA's Agricultural Outlook Forum are now available, including registration for both in-person and virtual events. Here's Rod Bain with more. Registration is now underway for the 99th edition of USDA's annual Agricultural Outlook Forum. And World Agricultural Outlook Board Chair Mark Jekinowski says for the first time since 2020... After two years of holding this event entirely virtually because of the pandemic, we're going to be back in person this year at the Crystal City Marriott in Arlington, Virginia. However, all sessions will be live-streamed and virtual as well. While details, such as the theme for the 2023 Ag Outlook Forum, are still being developed, other traditional offerings are known such as the Thursday morning kickoff session. It'll be kicked off by the Deputy Secretary. Then Dr. Seth Meyer, Chief Economist, will give his overall outlook for the U.S. and global agricultural economy. The Secretary will give a speech, and that typically is followed by a plenary panel where we invite prominent high-level speakers to give their latest views on whatever that theme topic is. The various sessions and panels held during the February 23rd and 24th event contain both traditional outlooks. During the Ag Outlook Forum is when we put out our first assessment of the 2023 crop and livestock commodity outlooks. The farm income forecast, food prices, we'll have all of our commodity outlook sessions. And coverage of current topics. We've got the USDA Partnership for Climate Smart Commodities. That is likely to be highlighted during the event, and we're going to talk about the ag trade agenda. We expect to have sessions on the fertilizer price situation, fertilizer market volatility, and some discussions on what the impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and what that means for global grain supplies and trade out of the Black Sea. Registration for both in-person and live streaming attendance, the summary of the Agricultural Outlook Forum at a glance, and session details are all found at this web address www.usda.gov slash OCE slash ag-outlook-forum. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Finally today, Paul Marchant takes us to the unloading spot in this latest installment of Irons in the Fire. As I snaked around the last bend in the rough, washboardy road before the wide spot at the base of the hill where I intended to pull over to unload my horse, I glanced in the mirror and noticed the swinging trailer gate. I didn't take this as a really good omen to start my day. It was early August. I was headed to the mountain to check some water troughs and kick some of the stragglers and the lazier cows up out of the creek bottoms and into some higher country. When I pulled over at the unloading spot, I got out of the cab and walked to the back of the trailer. 
I commented to the two dust-covered dogs who had happily bailed out of the back of the pickup that it looked like we just might have to move cows sheepherder style because the horse that I'd loaded in the trailer when I left home was very conspicuous in his absence. It turned out a weld on the latch of the old 18-foot stock trailer had broken, allowing the trailer door to swing open, which in turn allowed my steed to escape. As I pondered my situation and asked the dogs if they figured we had a skinned-up pony and wrecked saddle back down the road, a town dweller on a four-wheeler pulled up and informed me he'd just captured a westbound buckskin and tied him to the fence by the cattle guard a mile and a half down the road. He wondered if I might know who that horse might belong to. Well, I did. A week or two later, I was at the same unloading spot. Horse, dogs, and trailer, all in good order, waiting for Johnny to arrive. Johnny was an affable, if sometimes absent-minded, friend of mine who liked to help out whenever we had some extra day work. He had an old paint mare and an Appaloosa gelding that he used at the local roping club and the sheriff's posse riding club. He liked to keep them legged up by riding on the mountain, so he was always eager to help if we had some mountain cowboying to do. On this particular day, Johnny was, as usual, a few minutes late. So it was really no surprise to see his old Ford bouncing up the hill, traveling a bit faster than it probably should have been. What was a surprise, though, was that his little two-horse bumper pull trailer wasn't behind him. He roared up the last incline and around the bend, whipped into the unloading spot, and turned his pickup around. He jumped out, offered a quick apology for his tardiness, and skipped on back to unload his horse. It was precisely at that moment that he discovered that his trailer was missing. He didn't seem to see the humor in the suit situation that I did. I don't know how he didn't notice that his trailer was missing, but we found it and the horse safe and sound a few miles down the road at the bottom of the first hill out of town. Now this incident did nothing for Johnny's ego, but I felt a little better about my earlier mishap at the unloading spot. Like a favorite quaint cafe or coffee shop to some folks, I have my own favorite gathering spots. They happen to be unloading spots. Those places where cowhands and families gather to unload their horses before a big gatherer or branding. It's where you meet at the end of a long dusty day to swap lies and discuss finding that little jag of cows that slip by you before the BLM finds them in the wrong unit. There are places like the spot by the cabin up the south fork of the Weaver River or the sorting pens at the mouth of Slate Creek Canyon. Back in the day, the unloading spots had a place dug out where you could back up the two-ton bobtail to unload the horses. Now all you really need is some flat ground to park your trailer. It's a place where cold back colts always offer some early morning entertainment and where Leon always left his slicker in the truck. It's Camel Rock or the old foundation up Willow Creek or Piney Cabin. It's where kids feel the excitement of being included in something important as dads and moms tighten cinches and tie coats and lunches on behind saddles. It's also the place that those same kids can't wait to get back to when they're worn plumb out after the last calf has finally pushed through the gate. And all this between them and a soft pickup seat and a little nap is an hour and a half ride in the dark. The unloading spots where you tuck away good memories and learn to appreciate horses and friends and good dogs, old saddles, spare tires with air and family. The unloading spot is one of those underappreciated little gems that 
only very few of us in this world will ever get to experience. And I thank the Lord that I'm one of them. This is Paul Marchant with Irons in the Fire wishing you the best and happiest of weeks. All right, thank you for being with us today. That's going to do it. I'm Neil Larson, and I'll be back here in a week with another edition of the Idaho Farm and Ranch Show.